Welcome to the Table Leadership Podcast, where everyone is invited to pull up a seat, and all leaders have a voice to contribute to the conversation. We're glad you could join us today. And now, your host, Sian Edgerton. I don't think we give our best stuff when we already know what's right. happening. I think right. that a lot of times we end up forcing the conversation into a direction because we want to make sure we get to say that great quote we came up with or, you know, yeah. like, in, and it kind of robs us of what it is I think that God wants to do in a moment. So I'm right. totally fine. It silences the voice of the spirit who might be trying to whisper something else. Exactly. And you're like, yeah. nope, I'm on my third talking point. I'm sorry. I can't right now. You'll have to, let's see if we have space for you after I'm finished. Well, I'm, I'm preaching this weekend. So I'm going to take that as my personal permission to not hey. have my three points like, laid out. <laughs> exactly. Just let them flow through you. Your best stuff comes when we don't get in the way. Exactly. All oh, that's good. All right. Well, then with that being said, we're just going to jump in. Let's do it. So awesome. Albion, thank you so much for joining us at the table today. I am super, super excited. I think, I mean, I'm excited about every guest that I have, um, but because I have seen you work and I have seen you lead and I have seen you do what you do, I was really, really excited to get to have this conversation <laughs> with you today. So welcome, first of thank all. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Like this is this has the little butterflies in my tummy that I, I love when you get to do something really creative and really organic. Yeah, well, that's exactly what this is going to be. So super organic, which I love. So for everyone that's listening that doesn't have the privilege of knowing you the way that I do, um, tell us a little bit about you. Just introduce yourself, who you are, what you do. Let us know your, your heart. Okay. Well, I will say first and foremost, I am totally a believer. I am unapologetically in love with God. I am of the perspective that your faith can be central to virtually everything that you do and should be. And we have to live our faith in a way that people are so impressed with what it is that, they, that we do, the, the gifting that we have, that they want to know about the source of that gifting. And if I feel like if we do that right, it's the best kind of ministry that you can possibly do. It's not about forcing that on anyone as much as it is about being a buffet, which is so appropriate for the table, you know, lay out all of the delicious things that God has planted inside of you and invite people to come to that table to eat of what it is that he has prepared. So first and foremost, I'm truly a believer and like I said, unapologetically. Um, I am a CEO, so I have owned a human relations consulting firm for just over 15 years now. So I actually started my business in my 20s, um, coming out of the school system. I started as a school counselor, so my degrees are in psychology and counseling, um, but I felt like I was spending a lot of time fixing kids and sending them home to broken adults. And the idea of that felt like a setup where the kids were concerned. So I, upon um, finding out the diagnosis, I have a son with juvenile diabetes. Mm -hmm. And after he was diagnosed at four, it really was a moment to decide what your life is going to be about. And 
um, how will you reflect the God you say you know in the way that you live your life? And is it just your kid who will have good parents or will you live your life so that if God forbid your kid were ever to get to heaven before you, you give them a good story to tell God? And I wanted to make sure that the story that my son could have told at the moment that we almost lost him after his diagnosis would have been an incredible story. And I wasn't sure then that that would have been true. Um, I was doing my job, but I, I wasn't going beyond what my comfort zones were. And so stepping away from my job as a school counselor to start a consulting firm um, with a high school, well, I should say a college uh, roommate of mine, um, and then building something from the ground up that allowed our faith and our credentials to marry each other and then to produce life professionally really became you know, the cornerstone of my life. So now I am known as a uh, leadership consultant and relationship expert. And I do everything from fixing marriages, building intimacy, um, helping families be strengthened, um, all the way to going into uh, Fortune 500 companies and doing leadership development for um, typically women in leadership, but it is not limited to women in leadership. I, I get to do a little bit of everything. So my profession is quite a buffet. I get to do all things people. That's awesome. I love it. And you, I know, because I know you personally, I can say this, that you absolutely practice what you lead. Uh, you have yes. an amazing family. You've got an incredible marriage. You've got kids. You've got a grandbaby. Yes, I do. And, <laughs> and so I have, I have seen you walk this out. I have seen you walk out what you lead in your marriage and in your family. Um, and so that's just, that's encouraging I, because I can, I can say that I've seen, and I've seen the fruit of it too. I've seen the fruit of your marriage and of your parenting. And um, so I know you have a lot of really, really great resources. And so we'll make sure to put all that in the show notes, get people you know, to all of your stuff and, and your website and just everything that you do. Cause I would, I would, absolutely recommend all of it. Thank you. Uh, oh gosh, yes. You've made a huge impact on my life, as you know. And so I have to I have oh, to share that with others. It's totally likewise. Please know, audience, as you're listening to this, that the flow is mutual. There's nothing more beautiful than being able to feed one another inside of a relationship. So I am equally yeah. grateful. That's good. Well, speaking of feeding one another, so one of the first questions that I always have to start with, and we are going to talk leadership eventually, okay. but All right. because this is the table, if we were gathered together, not virtually, but at an actual live table, and you uh -huh. and me were gathering a bunch of leaders so that we could pour into them and invest and develop, what would you be feeding them? What would you serve? Whether it's your favorite dish or that one thing that you can cook better than anybody else, but what would you bring to the table food-wise? I would probably bring sushi, really? which is one of my favorite. Yes. And the I reason I that. yeah, the reason I say that, even though like, okay, so it's not the thing that I necessarily cook. Okay. Mm -hmm. So like I cook all kinds of stuff. My parents are um, immigrants. So they're from the West Indies, as you know, the Caribbean. And so, um, you know, 
my tastes in food are very broad as a byproduct of all of the culture in my family and my husband's Portuguese. So when you put it all together, we've eaten everything under the sun practically. Um, But sushi is actually one of my favorite things. And I think that I would bring sushi because of both the incredible um, affinity I personally have for it and simultaneously what sushi represents. The people who appreciate sushi appreciate it because it is the perfect fusion of various tastes together that are better together than they are apart. So the idea to me of bringing sushi to the table is really about what leadership to me is really, really is. It's the person much like the rice of the sushi that kind of wraps around or the seaweed paper, depending upon what kind of sushi you're making. Leadership is that, that entity wrapping all kinds of individually wonderful people together in order to make something better together than it ever could have been standing alone. I love it. And I feel like <laughs> I should say, did you know I was going to ask you that question? No. Okay, because that was like, I want everyone to hear it. Like, this is not scripted. This is why I love this woman, because you can ask her about dust and all this stuff. And I can, make a, I can make a speech about it. Like, give me anything. I can all make a speech a about it. I'm taking notes about the leadership principles and spiritual truths that she spit out when we started by talking about face cream. And I'm like, wait, what? I love it. And I think that just, you know, I really do. I think that just speaks to the way that you've lived your life, the way that you've said yes to God, the way that you've embraced the experiences and the challenges, the way that you truly value the Lord and intimacy with him first. I mean, just the overflow of that in your life and leadership is such that we can talk about sushi and all of a sudden you've got wisdom to spout. So that's, yeah, I want to be just like you when I grow up. Be, I do. Amen. Amen. <laughs> okay. So then my next question is, now that I'm hungry and totally craving sushi, um, what's your favorite kind of sushi, by the way? Um, So there is at one of the restaurants that are not too far from us is a Mm -hmm. restaurant called Hayashi. And I love their Delta Force. And the Delta Force has like a mix of um, like eel and crab and a little splash of cottage cheese. I don't even normally eat dairy, but it's like perfectly in there. It's got like um, roe in terms of fish eggs. And like, it's just the way in which it's fused together Mm -hmm. is just the absolute best combination of things that you would never, I won't go so far as to say never, but you would be unlikely to reach for any of those things by themselves. Yeah. But when when put together, it is the most perfect taste, if you ask me. Like I just yeah. absolutely love it. So I'm just, I'm a huge fan of really well thought out sushi combinations. And uh-huh. that, the Delta Force is just one of my That's favorites. One of them. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm seriously probably going to have to get sushi now. That's See, yeah, and I'm not going to be mad about it at all. <laughs> <laughs> so now, not in terms of food, but mm-hmm. in terms of leadership, what is it that you bring to the leadership table? So I, I love that question because I am actually writing the um, 
layout of a leadership book that's a byproduct of these most recent experiences that I am having in leadership. I am inside of a corporation right now that for the first time is bringing in cultural diversity. They just recently over the last two years brought in gender diversity. So we finally, they finally have the corporations about 40 plus years old and they finally have a couple of women at the leadership table. But yeah. this is the first time that they're, they have a, pers- a person of color at the leadership table. So I am, it's one of the partnerships that I have now. And it has given me just incredible um, insight into some of the human dynamics that are fundamental to successful or effective leadership. And from that has arisen um, my greatest truths, so to speak. And that would be that there is a leadership axis. Now, if you're familiar with the idea of, you know, in terms of math, the X and Y axis intersecting mm-hmm. at like ultimate zero, right? So consider that concept. Yeah. And in that axis, there would be four points, and then there's your zero that's right at the center of that, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think of it first in terms of the exterior, the four points, they, I would consider those to be my four Ps. They're technically going to be five Ps, but we're going to talk about the four on the outside first. So I'll tell you what they are, and then we'll talk about what that's meant yeah. in terms of my experiences. So the first P would be principle. So that would be at the top. That is your ultimate north, is that is being governed by your principles, being truly aware of what they are, which really formulate your why in the work that you do. We've got to be clear about who we are and why we're doing what it is that we're doing. So those are really the principles that govern us. Then moving to the people, understanding that the people, both your internal and external customer, are your greatest assets. That's your human capital. Because no matter what business you do, the likelihood is that there are countless other businesses that can do the same thing. So it has more to do with the way, the experience that we create internally and externally that makes someone want to patronize, to be a patron of my business as opposed to someone else's. Mm -hmm. So why are you the business that I'm willing to work with, invest my money in, has a lot to do with what my experience is. And that experience is not just your customer service externally, it's also your customer service internally. Because a lot of times how you're treating your people is going to be a lot of your marketing unintentionally. So Mm -hmm. if you create a good internal environment, it could be some of the best marketing your company could ever do. So there's the people. Then when we come down to our, you know, ultimate south, that would be process. Mm -hmm. How we do what we do every day matters. Is our process effective? Is it efficient? Is it time sensitive? Do we value how much investment our people are making daily? Are we doing things the the most um, appropriate way inside of our business? So your process would be at your due south. Then when you come over to your west side, so to speak, that would be your profitability. At the end of the day, very few of us are in business to make zero dollars. <laughs> so right. is it, are the decisions that we're making 
profitable for the company. But profit you see comes last, not because it's not important, but because if you are doing, if you are principally governed, if you value your people internally and externally, if your process is efficient, then your profitability should follow. So when we have low profitability margins, there's generally a breakdown in one of those other areas, mm -hmm. ultimately. And then at the center of it is really your product. So what, whatever it is that our, we do, so to speak, whatever that is that we do, whether we're selling things, whether we're a ministry, whether we are relationship experts, whether we make hamburgers, our product is at the center of all of that, you know, because mm -hmm. it's the thing that we want people to buy. It's the thing that we have to be clear about why we're making this as opposed to making widgets, you know, like it's really at the center of it all. It's our what, you know, like, but being clear about where each of those things fit I have discovered that every time there is a problem, I can point to one of those areas as a, as a point of weakness inside of the system that is yeah. affecting our ultimate bottom line. So for me now, I'm like, you know what? There is an access and just like the world spins on its axis and there's a gentle balance. And if something goes slightly off, we would literally in the cosmos drift into oblivion. So mm -hmm. is true in an organization that there is something that is kind of holding its center. And when we're not doing those things right, that's when we get things off kilt. And when those, are, when those things start to tilt in one direction or the other, that's when we start to find difficulties and our ability to function the way that we need to function or to reach the goals that we want to reach. Yeah, that's good. That's, I'm sitting here taking notes as you're talking. <laughs> as I'm in the process even of launching things, I'm thinking, ooh, wait, okay, I need to think about these things. This is, this is great. So, so for example, can you talk a little bit, going back all the way up to True North, to principles, uh -huh. Uh -huh. what are some, like for you, what would you say, I mean, you talked in the very beginning about how um, your faith is central Center. to everything, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I have, I've got to say, it is masterful the way that you bring that in, <laughs> even to spaces that are not faith spaces. I remember the one time that um, I got to be with you as you were giving a presentation at a local yeah. organization. It uh -huh. was not a faith-based organization. Yep. I was a fairly large company and it yep. was for women. And mm -hmm. I, I don't remember what the question was or what you were talking about exactly, but I remember you said, there's an ancient text that says, <laughs> out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, the mouth speaks. speaks. And then you use that to go into something. And I'm sitting here thinking, girl's talking about the Bible. She's sitting here <laughs> quoting scripture in this corporate leadership development environment. And she managed to do that because she called it an ancient text. And so, and I've, I've watched you like masterfully take your faith and weave that into everything that you do, whether it would usually be culturally acceptable or not. Or not. Mm -hmm. and, and the way that you've done it, it, it just makes me think of, you know, the Apostle Paul and the times when he would use what was around him and in front of him, you know, right. uh, he would right. use the culture and the context that he was in. He would use, oh, hey, you're, you know, you're praying to this. God that you don't know. Well, let me tell you about it. And and so I've I've just always really been amazed at that. And so, anyways, I digress. 
all no, of that. No, you're totally to fine. <laughs> um, what are some of those those principles um, mm-hmm. for you? What let's just talk about you right now. What does that look like for you as people are kind of trying to discern and determine? Oh gosh, can I even identify what my guiding principles are? Right, right. I love that you brought up the experience that you had, because for a lot of people, they wouldn't think that they can take their faith into spaces. And that can't be further from the truth. It's just how you take your faith into spaces Mm -hmm. matters. So the company that we were seeing, I won't use the company's names, but it is a $20 billion company. So like we're, you know, just to be clear for our listening audience, we're not talking about, you know, a little mom and pop shop that happens to be developing leaders. We are that particular leadership um, uh, conference that was being done where I was keynoting. There were women that were sitting in that room that are worth $50 million by themselves, like on a bad day, you know, like, so they are running major, um, organizations and they are partners of that particular company. So they were, you know, it was a, an event that they purposely wanted to host for their women in leadership that are business partners of theirs, so to speak. And so, um, being inside of spaces like that, you have to be very clear about what your North star is, you know, Mm -hmm. what's your, what is your ultimate North? And for me, because faith is so central to who I am, I don't like to have to stick my faith in my pocket. I'm always mm-hmm. looking for very creative ways to be able to bring it into a space without it being even like, I'm not evangelizing inside mm-hmm. of the space, not directly, right. but indirectly, much like the buffet. I'm just mm-hmm. laying a few things out for you. <laughs> yeah. And if you would like to ask me about it, then <laughs> I will tell you about it. <laughs> If you ask me for clarification or can you tell me where I could find that quote? Oh, let me help you with where you can find that. But I don't, I don't openly say, as you so appropriately noted, I don't openly say, you know, John 316, you know, like during my presentations. But the fact is the Bible is an ancient text. And there are, (laughs) there are lots of them. If we can quote, if we can quote Socrates and Aristotle, then why can't we quote Jesus? That's, that is my logic, you know, so I just will not I just did not mention <laughs> exactly where <laughs> you can find it. And I le- I'll, I'll let the audience ask me about yeah. it. Just the same way that um, I often open up, as you also witnessed, I often, often open up my sessions by letting the audience ask me any organic question they want. Because what that also allows me to do is I'm just talking about my experience. And in talking about my experience, I am not telling you what you have to do. And I'm not telling you what you have to think. But I am telling you what has created the opportunity for me to be standing in front of you. And that I didn't have to give up being a mom, if that's something that you want. I didn't have to give up being a wife, if that's something that's important to you. I didn't have to give up being a Christian, if that's something that's important to you. I get to just talk about me, and it's just my story. And no one can tell you what you're allowed to say from your story. They can tell you what it is that you're allowed to ask of your audience or your expectations set for your audience, but your story is your story, you know? So like you are not asked to edit 
the truth of your story, so to speak. So I love opportunities for things to be organic. So for me, my, my, the principle that governs much of what I do is first my faith. And you heard me reference previously that my why really comes from my son. Mm-hmm. Having yeah. been so close to losing him, so close to losing him, um, I, really, I really wondered what he would have told God. Like, what would he have said? And did I give him good material? And the idea of not being able to say that absolutely changed the trajectory of my life. You know, like I want my kids to always be able to say that this is who my mom is and I am proud of her, not because of the life I appear to live, but because of the one I actually live. And so leading for me has to be about congruence between what you say and how you live. And if those things are not congruent, I do not talk about things that I'm not living. I often will, if, if it's, if, if I'm in process still, I'm honest about the fact that even in my own company, we're working on A, B, and C, or even in my own life, I'm working on A, B, and C, or my marriage, or my kids. I'm honest about the fact that I'm still in process about what I might be speaking about. But I am also very forthright about the fact that for me, in conversations with myself, I'm like, look, you cannot talk about something that's not true. So yeah. if, it, if you're not living it, don't run around preaching it because you are only creating the kind of incongruence that people question both the God that you say that you serve, if you're a believer, or the brand that you say you represent. And neither of those two things am I willing to sacrifice. So my why is really central to both my faith and my family. That's so good. And I love how you are able to weave it in. Like even the example that you were talking about, how you started off that session. And and I know you said you do this in lots of different spaces Mm -hmm. by allowing them to ask you questions, which one was just a fantastic show of vulnerability, which built trust with the audience. But like you said, it gave you this opportunity to be able to bring in some of your faith, which is central because this is not necessarily part of the presentation. Right. You're just asking about you. You're right. talking about you and your own experience. And so even that is intentional. And so I think one of the other things that stands out to me is the intentionality with which mm-hmm. you live and lead. And I think that's key because I know not all of our listeners are leaders in the organization of the church. Now, right. most of them are right. going to be leaders of faith, but a lot of them are like you. They are leading out in spaces where they feel right. they're absolutely called. This is where I am meant to be. This is right. the the calling that God has given me. And it's not within the walls of the organized church. And so mm-hmm. what does my faith now mean to me when it is, so central to my life and everything about what I do and how I do it. And yet it's not part of this organization. So what do I do with that? And I think the two things that I see in you are intentionality and creativity. I'm going Mm -hmm. to be intentional with everything that I do so that my faith can be part of it. And I'm going to have to get creative. (laughs) About how I'm going to fuse that in. (laughs) About how I marry the two. Right. I think that's it right there. Intentionality and creativity. Creativity. People, leaders of faith that are leading in non-faith-based spaces Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. able to still be true to themselves. 
Oh, I totally agree with you. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. It's true. I mean, like, it's just, it's no different than having picky eaters. You know, you're mm -hmm. a mom, I'm a mom. Yep. You know, sometimes in order to get some of the good things you're going to have to get into your kids, you got to slide it in real sneaky. You know, like, so there's, mm -hmm. there's veggie pasta. The kids don't even know that it's made out of veggies. You know, right. there is zucchini spaghetti, you know, like they don't even recognize that that's what's happening. You know, like there are creative ways in which you are able to bring in who you are. And for some of us, it may not be about our faith per se, but it may be about some core values that really govern how we operate. So even bringing that into a space that may be deeply personal for you, that you can integrate the the, the vitamins that that brings into your life that you know are so valuable and could be so valuable for someone else, you can hide it in the pasta. <laughs> like there, there, are ways to be, there are ways to be able to do that. And, it, and you're right, it absolutely is intentional, but you definitely have to be okay with the creativity that is going to be required. But there is something to be said for, I am reading, um, Stephen Covey's um, The Speed of Trust right now, fabulous book, totally worth the time, and really talking about the impact that that has on organizations and leaders as a whole. And it's what is so clear is that there is nothing that moves an organization forward faster then trust will move it. And there's nothing that slows an organization down more than a lack of trust. So when we are vulnerable as leaders, and I'm not saying that you need to, you know, overshare about your personal life, because, you know, there still need to be appropriate boundaries. But when we are vulnerable as leaders, we are, and we're sincere, it creates a space where people do not feel afraid to be who they are. And that creativity that you mentioned, creativity really is the fuel behind innovation. And where people don't feel safe, they are not innovative. And so how the organization could have moved forward faster, the new idea it could have had, the way in which we could have grown better or served our people better or been, you know, better, created better products, whatever your organization does, it is the, it is the wisdom of the collective that makes us powerful. But when the collective doesn't feel safe enough to share their ideas, yeah. then the best of what we have, that it actually moves our profitability up or expands our profitability, is completely stifled in the fact that the space is not a safe space. So we want to create spaces of vulnerability and we want to make sure that those are nurtured in trust because that's where innovation really takes place. Yeah, that's good. And so talking about our people and the trust that they need to have and all of that, um, I want to talk about the people because you talked about obviously they're our greatest asset and relational capital. But you also mentioned internal and external. What do you uh -huh. mean by that when it comes to people, internal and external? So there are always two customers inside of a company. The there is your internal customer, which, is our, which would be your staff mm -hmm. that you're working with, your colleagues, 
those are internal customers in the sense that we are dependent on each other to produce one for another. So whatever my little spot is, if I don't get my little piece done and it holds up your ability to do your piece, you are still dependent on me the way a customer is dependent on the provider, so to speak, to produce their product, right? Mm -hmm. So your internal customer are the people that you work with every day who we are interdependent. We require each other to get this job done in some form or fashion, where your external customer is the person who is the who is spending the money in order to be able to benefit from whatever you produce whatever your product is that thing that's at the center of of our business yep. whatever that is your external customer is the one who is benefiting from that they're the ones that we're we're trying to get this all right for so that they're constantly coming back to us and that doesn't matter whether it's there are a thousand churches in the state but they want to come worship here with you because of the way we do what we do as a church or whether it's I want to come have dinner at your restaurant because of the way in which you do what you do that ultimately ends up on this fantastic plate in front of me because you can make great food but if it takes me six hours to be able to get that meal <laughs> like yeah. I don't care how good your food is <laughs> it's yeah. just I can't afford to spend that kind of time or if your pricing is so off that like a glass of water is five dollars and water should always be free but you understand I'm purposely being you know exaggerating but you're you're how you're doing what you're doing is so off that it doesn't it doesn't even matter you know, like how great this thing is supposed to be. So we're always working on being able to produce whatever we create at the highest possible levels so that we're constantly inviting others to our tables, so to mm -hmm. speak, that they want to partake of what it is that we're producing. That's good. And, you know, if I can switch gears a little bit because you're talking about what you're producing. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier and that, again, I've seen exemplified with my own eyes in your life, mm -hmm. obviously you're producing a lot. The hustle is real. Totally. There are not I mean, enough hours in the day. <laughs> you are the CEO of this company and um, you know, you're, you do all these different things with your, your, it's not just this company that you're running, but it is this amazing marriage. It's this amazing family that you have, this healthy, vibrant, growing family. And you said earlier, part of with your faith being central and everything that you do, you said, I don't have to give up family. I don't have to sacrifice my marriage. And I think one of the things, if we can talk about your personal like yeah, principle and people and, and process right now, right. with the process being the how, I think mm -hmm. one of the questions that a lot of our listeners may have, because I've had it before, is how <laughs> do you how do you lead and lead this organization that you do that you started? How do you maintain a healthy marriage? How do you still stay invested with your kids? And you know, it's that question that I hate of how do you do it all? Because the truth is we don't do it all. And I That's know right. that you don't do it right. all. But That's for right. our listeners, what are some of those processes that have allowed you to have the amazing products that you do without sacrificing the health of your marriage, uh -huh. your family, your own well-being, even right. your own soul care? 
What does that look like for you? What are some of the key practices? So fabulous question. Um, and you and in obvious and honest um, disclosure, we don't get it perfect. You know, like mm-hmm. nobody gets it perfect. So let's be right. clear about that for anybody who's listening. You're never going to, it's never going to be flawless, but it could be really good though, even though it's not flawless. So you're absolutely right that you cannot do all of these things at once. And I used to get that a lot when I first started doing leadership training. And that was, you know, can you have it all? So the answer is yes, but the caveat is not at the same time. So we can do all of these things, but we have to be clear about when we need to do each of these things in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. So I did not do the kinds of things that I'm doing now in my life. So I'm now in my early 40s. So the kinds of things that I can do in my early 40s, and I got married in college, you know, like, so I've, you know, for those who are trying to do the quick math on that, I've been married 23 years already because I started so young. I got married at 20. So I was in my junior year of college and then my daughter was born and that's how I ended up being grandmother because she did the same thing I did. She got married in her college and they have a little one. So yes, I'm very young to be an Ava, as we call it. I'm not sure what this grandma thing is, but I know how to be an Ava. So, (laughs) (laughs) so we, so we had to figure out pretty early on what we could handle, you know, and one of the really important things, particularly for women in leadership is not comparing what it is that we're doing against what some other woman is doing at some other point in her life, you know, like in that we can be inspired by it but don't compare yourself to it. Mm -hmm. There is a difference between those two things. Because when you start comparing yourself to it, what you don't know are the very questions that you're asking. You don't know what it actually is costing her to have what it is that you're seeing publicly. So you're not aware if she and her husband even like each other anymore. So when she says that we're married, yeah, but nobody just wants to be married. You know, you want to be happily married, you know, like you would like for there to be a positive adjective before the word married, you know, like, so it's not just about being able to check these boxes that yes, I'm a wife and I have kids and I have a career and all of those things. But if you're checking those boxes, but if that, if I ask you the secondary question and you couldn't lie about it, yeah, but how well are each of these things going? You would find a very different story for most people. And part of that is because they let everything exist at the same level of priority. Mm-hmm. And in my life, I am very clear about what I call my three buckets, what belongs in the ER, what belongs in urgent care, and what goes into primary care. And when a lot of times in our lives, we put too many things, my career needs to be in the ER, we've got to be on top of it, it has to happen right now, I've got to do this, that, and the other. And so we're putting something in the ER that really needs to be in primary care, in that it's something we are consistently working on, improving the health of, on a daily basis, but it's not higher in priority than our marriage is. Because when it's all said and done, you always have to be mindful of the fact, and I call it living backwards. 
And because I, you know, I, you and I have talked about it already, I recently lost another one of my girlfriends, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, to cancer. And when you go to a eulogy, or when I had to deliver one, you really start to look at the trajectory of a person's life, what brings you to this particular moment. And I used to always say, you know, the audience can laugh at me if they want to, but I was like, look, when I die, I want people to not be able to drive down the street, okay, because there are so many people crying in the street, ripping off their clothes because they cannot believe that I'm gone. <laughs> okay? like, like, I wanted to be pandemonium when I leave this earth, right? But for that to be true, living backwards would mean that I have to invest my life consistently, pouring out in meaningful ways and in lots of different ways in order to, in order for people to not have to lie at my funeral. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I don't want people to have to like write a good story at the end because I didn't live my life well enough for the story that you actually tell to be good and to be true. So the priorities for me had to be very clear. What mattered most? In most of your business, if you die tomorrow, unfortunately, most people won't even notice from a business standpoint. But from a people standpoint, it could be devastating if you've done it right. So I wanted to make sure that I did it right in that the people I want to care the most when I leave this earth would definitely be my family first. My business would come secondary to that. You know, like, so if that's what's first, then when I plan out my day, that day needs to be reflected in time in the same way as the values that I profess to have. But based on the things that you say that you really care about, I would go into organizations when I was doing leadership development or team building, and I would say, write down the the top five things in your life, the things that matter the most to you. So they'd have to write that down on one piece of paper. Then I would say to them, write down just an, a regular day, somewhere between Monday and Friday schedule. And when they go through their, their Monday through Friday schedule, I would say, now, I want you to put the, the paper that you say, list your top five priorities next to the paper that shows your schedule. How congruent are what you say you value versus mm-hmm. the way you spend your time? Yeah. And that for me was one of the most telling things for my life. If I say I value my marriage, how did I prioritize that inside of my day? Now, obviously, for those of us who work full time, that still means a good chunk of your awake time is spent someplace else. We may not be able to do anything about that. But the question is, with the time that you do have, what comes first in that time? So with the time that we have control over, does that control time reflect the values that we say we have? And the more congruent we make those things, the higher the quality of our life is, both at, just as people, but definitely as leaders. We want to keep those things matching. And too often, the incongruence is what creates the most conflict in our lives. Because we're telling our partner, I love you, I love you, I love you, you matter so much. And then as soon as we get home from work, we're right back on our laptop, we are on our devices, we're doing everything but what would communicate that I actually love you, love you, love you. So we have to, we have to be very mindful about what it is that we say, and then how we live our lives based on the time that we can control. 
Mm, that's good. And so then what are, if I can ask, and if you don't mind sure. sharing sure. with the time that you do have, uh-huh. what does that look like? What are some in my regular, world? in your world? Yeah. yeah. What are some yeah. of the regular practices with your family that are kind of, look, these are our non-negotiables because you guys are my priority. And yes, I've got this other stuff that I'm doing and it's big and it's major and it's, you know, consuming, but this is how I am communicating to you that you matter. This is how there's congruency in my life. What does that look like practically for you? Just, and obviously everyone's going to be different, but um, I, oh, yeah, I, I yeah, yeah. No. those practical examples sometimes can be so um, enlightening for the rest of us. Okay. So I hope this is to- not totally TMI because you know, I do marriage and intimacy conferences all the time. Mm-hmm. So I don't mind telling the whole story. Okay. So I will be appropriate, but I'm going to tell the truth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so my day begins at about 5.30, 6 a.m., generally speaking. And I'm normally laying in the bed in the dark because I'm always up first. I always beat Matt, my husband, you know, like, to the awake hours. And I'm generally kind of thinking through, you know, what my day is going to include, so to speak, in those early hours. So I don't necessarily get out of bed, but I am at that point tossing and turning somewhere around there. Around 6.30, quarter to seven, I wake him up. And, you know, despite the fact that his alarm goes off, he sleeps like a baby. (laughs) So I'm like, you should put that on your resume, like super sleeper. Like he is really good at being able to sleep through all noise. So I wake him up and then we always shower together every single morning of our lives, unless one of us has to get out of the house super, super early for something and the other one happens to be off or that's not, you know, what their day is going to look like. So I would say easily 95% of the time we shower together. Now, most people would process that to um, be something sexual and it's not. It is totally about our completely communicated just you and me space. And inside of that shower, every single morning we pray together every single morning. He leads the prayer inside of the shower. And part of that prayer always includes a section where he says that we will be so fully accepting, so appreciative, so value each other so much that there is no room for daylight to get between us. That is part of our everyday prayer. And so he does his portion and then I do my portion and then we end our prayer. He always kisses me and then we step out of the shower and we start getting dressed. Then by the time we finish getting dressed, before he leaves for work, he kisses me again as if we are not going to see each other for weeks. So I don't mean the little pet kiss. We intentionally have added into our life truly, completely there, make out kissing before he leaves for work every single day without exception. So I don't want to send him out into the world as crazy and backwards as that may sound to women who are very progressive, but I'm very aware because I do a lot of intimacy coaching and relationship counseling. I get to work in a, the the vast majority of my private clients are men. So I get to hear the unfiltered internal dialogue of men. 
and the experiences they have when they go out into the workplace, when they go out into the world. And what is not going to happen in my marriage is that my husband gets more attention outside of the home than he gets inside of the home. So it is very important to me that if he ever choose, chooses to do something that does not line up with God, our faith or our values, it won't be because I didn't see him, because I didn't value him or because I didn't make him feel wanted. That's not going to be his story. His story will have to be a brokenness of character, but it won't be a byproduct of poor practice inside of our marriage. So I am very intentional about creating, and men are incredibly receptive, the average man, let's say that, incredibly receptive to feeling wanted, just the same way that we as women want that as well. So, and a lot of times, because they didn't necessarily see it modeled, we end up having to teach them how to be husbands a lot of times. And no, it's not always fair. And you figure that, you know, as a grown man, you should know these things already, but assume nothing when you come into partnership. You do a much better job if you don't assume anything. And don't expect people to know what you're thinking and you didn't communicate what it was that you're thinking or what you wanted. So I make it, I'm very intentional about communicating my desire for him so that I'm modeling what I want to come back to me. So my day begins with that message, begins every single morning. And then after that, I'm, my, I, I still have a teenager who just started his freshman. He's a young freshman in college. So I still have to wake him up for class sometimes. <laughs> That alarm goes off and he doesn't hear it either. So he's commuting to school because the college that he's at is not far from our house. So he wanted to, he wasn't sure he wanted to give up the luxury of our home for the dorm rooms. So he, <laughs> he opted to communicate, to commute for his freshman year. He said he'll decide if he wants to live on campus for his sophomore. But I wake him up and then we kind of run through hey, what do you need to do today? You know, just really quickly. And then make sure that when he leaves, one of the rules in our house is we do not leave without saying I love you and we do not leave without kissing each other because we do not, we can never guarantee what our forever will look like. So you always want to know that when you separated from each other, you separated with a complete and conscious knowledge of the love that is shared inside of our family. So even at 18 years old, don't leave this house without kissing me because you will come back. <laughs> I, just, I will text you, sir. I hope you plan to turn around because <laughs> I'm serious. So there are a couple of ways and just, and just small things. Obviously, you know, we could talk about this for days, but small things in terms of how we set our day that already creates a expectation of this is the level we will operate at as a family. So by the time we come home in the evenings, because on top of everything else, I'm working on my second doctorate. So Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm in class all evening. Yeah. So when we come home for the evenings, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that I have more control over what my evening time looks like, I make sure that we just kind of hang out a little bit. Like sometimes it's not about doing anything important. Sometimes it's just we're watching a television show together. We're just laughing about something. We're downloading our days that because it's time that is mine, I make sure that in my time, I make time first for them. And then by the time they are ready to run off and do their thing, Matt wants to watch a game or my son's going to go hang out with his friends or go to the library, whatever it is. I've already, we've already established you were the most important thing. 
check, you know that through action, and now I can go on with the rest of the things that I need to do, the 100 emails and the 50 text messages and everything else that needs to happen before I generally shut it down. At about, right about 10.30, 11 o'clock, we start to wind down, and to be clear, we're a two-shower-a-day family, so I'm back in the shower with my husband at 10.30. (laughs) We're back in the shower, and while we're in the shower, that's when we download our days like we tend to talk about because he's now and he didn't start out in management so i've been an entrepreneur for 15 years and he just moved into management about five years ago so he's still having all of these experiences in leadership that i had to go through several years ago because he's in technology and so we in our back literally on the shower door sometimes i'm drawing diagrams of you know, <laughs> Yeah, if you do this and you know this and like all kinds of stuff. <laughs> so, and we just talk and talk and talk until the water starts to get cold. And then, you know, and then we hop out and we generally fall asleep. I normally fall asleep with my head on his chest, you know, like, so it is very normal for us to make sure that our lives um, are so aligned, virtually enmeshed in ways that, like puzzle pieces, you know, we fit into each other's worlds, but we make sure that we're very, and like I said, you said it so well before, we're very intentional about doing it because that is our ER thing. That's in our highest priority inside of our home. And we're very creative about it because we all have a lot going on inside of our worlds. We make sure that in the small things, we make sure that priority is communicated. So um, it's... It comes in lots of different forms and everybody's going to do it differently. But for us, that is the real truth of how it happens. Well, and I love too how intertwined and invitational that time is because I'll never forget that time that I was in town and we were going to connect. Mm -hmm. And, but it wasn't a, okay, we're going to go out and find time to get together. It was, hey, come over to my house. And your daughter was there and. And, you know, Matt came home from work at one point, and then you had, I think, a, a friend who was also a business partner. You guys yep, were like, one of my business partners stopped again. <laughs> and he stopped by to talk business, and I just got to kind of sit there and be included in all of it. And in the midst of that, you and I are talking about yep. life and leadership yep. and all of these other things. And so it was such an intertwined example of how everything doesn't have to be compartmentalized. Right, right. Beautiful for me to see how invitational and intertwined our priorities can actually be. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Like it's just, we treat too many things in our lives as either or equations Mm -hmm. and they're not really either or they're just, which one comes first. And so like, there are so many, and when you're clear about what comes first, then you could build everything else around it. You know, like, so if you treat your priorities, like the canvas of your life, that's the backdrop to everything. And whatever it is that you're going to do in your leadership, in your business, whatever that's going to be going to be, that's painted on the canvas, but it is not the canvas. So you've got to make sure that you are clear about what's the paint versus what's the canvas. What is, what have we um, decided that our lives will be governed by? That's your canvas, you know, and everything else, 
you're just painting those things in their appropriate spaces on the canvas. And if it all goes wrong, you can always wipe the canvas back out mm -hmm. and then create another picture on top of it. And artists do it all the time because canvases are expensive. So they don't, just, they don't just dump the canvas. A lot of times when they're developing something, you will see that you can chip back a couple of different layers and you realize that there are layers of story before the one that you're seeing right here mm -hmm. because they whited out that canvas multiple times mm -hmm. to create a new picture recognizing that the other didn't best reflect what they wanted to communicate as an artist and we are artists in our lives we are creating and we have to decide what fits into the creation that we want and what doesn't mm -hmm. and at any point don't be afraid to wipe your canvas out and start over again. That's good. That's really good. So, so we've talked a lot about what you do, which thank uh -huh. you for sharing. <laughs> sure. Great. I love it. Um, I, I'm curious. I feel like I should send out a poll a month or so after this podcast. Just say how many of you are showering now. With right with your husband. Because of what Albion said to you. <laughs> Listen, they, the husbands always tell me, like, I love it when my wife comes to see you, because like, I am always the beneficiary. Oh, I, love I love that you shared that with us. Um, so you told us in order, you know, some of your practices and, and your process, right, of what you do. What about some of the things that you don't do? So I make a, and I, I vaguely mentioned this earlier, but like I make a point of trying really hard not to compare mm -hmm. myself to others mm -hmm. um, because your power is in your different. It is not, if we're all the same, then one of us at least is unnecessary. So mm -hmm. we don't want to be just like anybody else. And too often we're trying to force ourselves into somebody else's mold. And you're never going to get that right because it's not yours. So yeah, you can stuff yourself into it just like a poorly or ill-fitted suit or dress or, you know, pair of pants. But it never quite fits right because it's not yours. It wasn't tailored to you. So I make a point of not trying to be somebody else's something because when I am fully confident in inhabiting my own space, doing it the way I need to do it for what's in my life, I'm always at the best version. Like the, the, I, I'm, I'm definitely the best version of myself yeah. when I do that. So I am really anti-comparison. I think it's really bad for us. And even the Bible speaks to it being unwise mm -hmm. to compare ourselves against ourselves. You know, like it's just not healthy. And, and the other thing too, particularly when you take it out of business and you start comparing things in terms of, oh, her life looks so great or her, you know, she lives in this great house or he lives in this and like, you just don't know what's really behind the scenes. So you really, it's a false comparison anyway, because unless you're intimately, intimately in somebody else's life, you don't know the truth of it, period. You know, so one, I don't compare myself. Two, I, am, I don't allow myself to... Um, speak negatively to myself. Now that's not to say that I'm always like, oh, you're so amazing. Like, you know, like I just, it's not that like everything I do, I'm like, whoa, 
you are just the best at that. You know, like, (laughs) so it's not like it's so ridiculously buffering, you know, in a way that makes it such that I'm not even realistic about who I am as a person. But what what is true is that I am my own best friend internally. My internal dialogue is not negative. So I don't put myself down. So like, I just, if something needs to be corrected, I'm like, oh, you could have done that so differently. You know, like, and even when I totally know that I disappointed God on something that I did, because we, we all miss the mark. And sometimes we intentionally miss the mark, you know, like, so when I know that I intentionally miss the mark, because I didn't feel like living up to the standard that I should have, I, I will, I'll, I'll be honest with myself that you know, God is just sad right now. <laughs> like just with what you just did, you know, he's sad right now. Like, just go fix it. Go do the best you can to fix it. Because you know that God is not going to be caught up in the last moment, but he is going to be caught up in what you did now that you know you shouldn't have. You know, like, what, how did you attempt to repair what it is that you did wrong or what it is that you knew was not of him to have handled that situation that way? So, but I'm still not like, um, you're such a sinner. You're never going to this, that, and the other. If it wasn't for Jesus, you would bust hell wide open. You know, like, I'm just, I, I just don't talk to myself like that. Because I don't know God to talk about me or to me that way. So it just, it doesn't even sound like him to me. So I don't, I don't have those kinds of conversations inside of my head. And admittedly, sometimes when I listen to people share out their internal dialogue, I just want to, I just want to hug them like, oh, baby, (laughs) just don't talk to yourself like that. That is just not acceptable. And when my girlfriends um, share, you know, them beating themselves up sometimes, I'm like, look, you're not going to talk about my best friend like that. Like, Mm. so I'm going to need you to cut that out because I'm not letting anybody talk about the person I love the way you're talking about them. So it is, I'm very protective about that internal dialogue because what they say about you is never going to be as important as what you say about yourself. So there is a quote from Bishop T.D. Jakes that I absolutely love. And you've heard me say it before, but you know, for our audience that a ship does not sink because of the water it sits inside. It sinks because of the water that gets inside of it. Mm-hmm. So it's not what happens around us that is the most destructive thing. Not that it doesn't have impact, because obviously, you know, a storm can batter a ship. But the, the problem is when it penetrates that ship, yeah. what takes place then? You know, like, so when it gets in you, that's when we drown. You know, like, so I am very careful about what I allow to get in me. And I'm not afraid to take a time out with people or experiences that I recognize are changing what is this kind of the internal standard that I have. There's sometimes relationships, depending upon where people are in their lives, they can get really toxic. And when I recognize that that's happening because I can feel the unease, Mm -hmm. I let the people know how much I love them and what I want for them and recognizing that I am not in the space that I could be the best version of myself for them. And because of my love for them, I need to put myself in timeout. And I will disengage for 
whatever length of time it requires so that I am prepared to give back something positive. Because if I can't give something positive, then, then it, has, it has started to penetrate who I am. And that's a dangerous proposition because that then means that any other place that I pour out, I am not pouring out clean water anymore because I allowed myself to be dirtied or muddied by whatever was going on inside of these relationships. Mm -hmm. And we can only pour out of the abundance of who we are. So you want to make sure that you're keeping yourself in a space internally that allows you to pour out good things. And that's incredibly true if you're in a leadership position because you have countless people who are drinking of that water that you're pouring out. You want to make sure that that's not toxic. Yeah. That's so good. Um, and so if you could, if you could give one piece of encouragement or wisdom or advice to, cause there's so much goodness that you've shared with us today and so many pieces of it that it's, it's a process. I mean, these are all things that we are walking out on a daily basis. It's Absolutely. Not a quick fix type of yep. thing. Yeah. And you don't just arrive there. Like there's no, there's no arrival place in leadership. Okay. Like it is a forever journey and we are all growing through it. So like you, you don't ever get to a point where you're like, oh, I've got it all. There's no such thing. Because the minute that you get to that space, that means that you stop growing and anything that isn't growing is dying. It is beginning its reverse process. You just can't see it yet. But if you wait around long enough, just like a plant, you're not going to see the plant dying immediately, but you will, if you wait, start to see the impact on the leaves. The same thing is true in leadership, organizations, marriages, relationships, anything that's not growing will start dying. You said, so the thing that I would share with everyone. Well, now I'm just, (laughs) no, that's good. If it's not, it's such a process. And it's such a, you know, you talk about that. I just think about how much nurturing and care a plant needs to not only be alive, but to be healthy and to be striking. How much, again, coming back to that intentionality is so critical in all of that. Um, So I love, I just, I love even that picture of being (laughs) the partners of our lives and our leadership and our marriage. Right. And then, and going with that, and like, sorry to totally just go there, but the, that our lives are soil, which is why the people that we allow into our lives, the counsel that we receive is seeds planted in our soil. And what we have to be careful about, because we are growing the products of our lives, what we have to be careful about is that we don't allow people to plant weeds in the soils of our life. Your counsel matters, who you spend your time with, who's talking to you, particularly when you're in vulnerable spaces, is super important. So you want to make sure that you are keeping good soil, because whatever you don't handle in the root you are going to taste it in the fruit. Mm -hmm. So the fruit of your life will be as poisonous as whatever the condition of the soil is. The richness of your life is going to be as rich as the condition of the soil is. So we have to be really adamant protectors of what we allow to be grown in the soil of our lives. Yeah, that's good. So in light of that, then, if there was one for people who are listening and saying, I want to grab onto this stuff, I really want to begin making some of these intentional moves in my life. And obviously, everybody's journey and process is going to be different. But if there was one kind of overarching 
to just like bring it all together. If there was one, I won't say one step because everybody's first step will look different, but even just one kind of overarching piece of encouragement and wisdom that you could leave uh-huh. with to say, hey, you want to grab onto some of this stuff and begin walking in some of these truths. Here's a good place to start. What piece of wisdom or encouragement would you leave them with? Well, first I would say that um, know that everything is a choice. Okay. So like there's no, no change happens without choice. All right. So fundamentally I would say first understand the power of choice, but as a governing component or principle that has absolutely in every area of my life been true, particularly as a leader, it's that the mission has got to be greater than the moment. We have to be so clear about what our mission is. Early in my marriage, our mission was to have the best marriage known to mankind. That was our mission. So when the moments came that we got on each other's nerves, that we were growing in slightly different directions, there there were challenging periods inside of our marriage, and we could talk about that on a whole nother podcast. But when those moments came, I had to remember what my mission was, because as long as my mission is talking louder to me than my moment, then I will be a victor. So when you're, when you're developing as a leader, when you're growing in business, when you're growing as a person, there are going to be a thousand moments in any given year that you're going to want to quit or question your process. But you've got to be so sure about what your mission is that you don't allow your, that moment to abort that mission. And for us as believers, our mission is for God. And there are going to be so many times that the enemy is going to try to convince you that your purpose isn't what you think it is, that you're not loved at the level that you're supposed to be loved, that you're never going to see this and that. Those are all just moments. But be clear about the fact that you know what your mission is. And if you are mission focused, there are so many things that you will ultimately be able to achieve. You'll be able to weather the storm because your mission is your why. And when we're clear about our whys, the hows and the whats, they begin to fall in line. So don't ever, don't ever let your moment speak louder to you than your mission. Mic drop. the whole time some of these little you know things that you said are just so so valuable especially the bit about don't quit or question that that's huge 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 I um I think I speak for everyone um that has been listening when I just say thank you thank you oh it is being here such a privilege such a privilege we are the, we are definitely honored to have got to spend this time with you and just that you would, you know, come and be so real and so raw. I think that's what's the most valuable um, for me, at least. And that's the heart of why I'm even doing what I'm doing is that I need to see the real raw vulnerable sides of leadership, what works and what doesn't. We need to hear people's stories. We need to hear the trials and we need to hear the triumphs. And that matters because that impacts us and, and our journey and our process. And so, I just, I I mean it when I say from the bottom of my heart, honestly, thank you so much for being with us today, Albion. It was such an absolute pleasure. And anytime, you know, just 
anytime, especially if you decide that you're going to do some stuff on marriages and relationships, I'm in. <laughs> like, so, do not hesitate to call, but do warn folks that I will tell the whole truth. <laughs> about being in the shower with her husband. Okay. I'm telling the whole truth. Okay. So. <laughs> so good, because these are the things that we need to hear. These are the little intimate details that matter. And if nobody says, like, yes, this is important, especially yep. for young women today who you know, we just have such a messed up picture of intimacy because of <sighs> that is them. so true. And I think for some of us, the the reaction is that we just completely um shied away from intimacy because we don't know what's okay and what's good and what's holy and what's not because it's not right convoluted that it's almost easier to just say oh I don't even forget it (laughs) yeah just forget it oh god said it's so good and yes we need to lean into it so anyways that's another podcast (laughs) we're gonna do it one day so you just call me when you're ready (laughs) all right that sounds good well thank you so much and uh, it has just been it's been a joy it really has thank you so much I absolutely love you thank you so much for allowing me to be part of this I'm so excited for how people will be fed at your table thanks for listening to the table leadership podcast be sure to check out the show notes for links to the resources that were discussed at the table today and to connect with today's guest Remember to subscribe to The Table Podcast and follow along on social media at The Table Leadership. Visit thetableleadership.com to learn more about current courses and coaching opportunities. And finally, you can connect with me, your host, at cionedgerton.com or on social media at cionedgerton. I look forward to the next time that you pull up a seat at The Table.